Today on Blue 58, the Packers begin the back half of their tour through the AFC North with a trip to Baltimore. But as a COVID-19 outbreak hammers the rest of the league, the Ravens have a different problem. They're really banged up even without anybody being sick. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We are up to $445 in our annual charity drive. Thank you so much to the people who have donated so far. A reminder, if you donate by December 31st, you will be eligible for one of seven Packers-related prizes this year. First one being the jersey of your choice from the Packers Pro Shop, a value of up to $125. Uh, second uh, second level, I guess, is a $250 gift certificates, and the third is four $25 gift certificates. So uh, if you donate to one of our two charities that we're supporting this year, send me the receipt, and uh, then you'll be entered for the drawing. I would encourage you to do it. It's a great cause, something that's very close to my heart and my family's heart. So uh, we would appreciate it if you would join us in that effort. Sound good? Good. Let's talk some general Packers stuff before we talk about the Ravens. Got some big news down the stretch this week, just ahead of our, our preview podcast today. Some of it breaking yesterday, but first and foremost, is more like David Bakhtiari, uh, if you'll excuse the pun there. David Bakhtiari practicing, surprising Matt LaFleur. He admitted as much in his presser today after saying yesterday that Bakhtiari was not going to practice. Obviously great news. Don't need any qualifiers here, even if he doesn't play this Sunday. I would assume that he's going to be ready to go pretty much from here on out. I mean, if if he doesn't play this week, I would expect him back in the lineup the the next week if he is practicing in pads. Merry Christmas to us, I guess. Uh, Great to have David Bakhtiari back. This is uh, obviously great news. Also injury-related news, Josh Myers is back with the rehab group in practice. Uh, He has not really done much on the field at all, even rehab stuff since knee surgery a while back. Uh, now he is back moving around on the field and getting ready apparently for a return. Thirdly, on the injury front, all we talk about anymore is injuries. Billy Turner, not out for the season. Matt LaFleur is saying as much this week. He doesn't think it's a season-ending injury for Turner. Good stuff there. Finally, and this kind of affects the league as a whole, but Kenny Clark is probably going to be out for this week. Uh, he's on the COVID-19 reserve list as of today. But, and there's a big but there, things are a-changing. In the past, it was two negative tests, I think 24 hours apart, that got him back on the field. I say I think because I'm not entirely sure about that. And also because the protocols have changed a little bit today. And they released such a huge memo, the NFL did, that I haven't even really been able to parse through it well enough to say exactly what the new protocols are. And most of the people I know who follow this pretty closely, really don't understand it either. But the gist of it is, seems to be at least, that the the NFL is taking steps to get people who test positive for COVID who are asymptomatic back on the field quicker. It seems to be the broad strokes takeaway from, from their new protocols or altered protocols or whatever you want to call them. I think that's a good move because the NFL has a bit of a problem right now. COVID is all over the place in the league. 25, just before we started recording, a bunch more Los Angeles Rams went on the list. They've got 25 people on the COVID-19 reserve list right now. They they don't have enough people to play a football game. It's getting to that point with a lot of teams around the league. Just look at what's going on in Cleveland. 
things can't really continue the way that they are. Still something you have to take seriously, but the NFL's protocols, at least in terms of this new variant, don't seem to be addressing the situation as it exists for a lot of teams. If they still want to go on with, you know, guys testing and reacting the way they are, if people test positive, the only other alternative is to to postpone games. I don't know how you can play games in December of a season when teams are without half of their roster. This is playoff seating now. If the Rams go out this weekend and lose because they had to play their, not even JV squad, worse than that, how can the NFL take themselves seriously? This is It's a competition issue. It's a player safety issue. If you've got Matt Stafford running around behind a, a, an offensive line of guys that weren't in the league until 15 minutes ago, how is that safe for him? How is that safe for them if they're going against a defensive line that's been playing all season? They're going against guys that are at full speed, full go football shape. That doesn't seem, well, it doesn't seem fair. Also doesn't seem safe. Something's got to change. And I'm, I'm thinking something probably will here in the relatively near future because otherwise things could really fall apart here. Even if the NFL keeps playing, it, it, you start losing the ability to say, yes, this is, a, this is a season that makes sense, that was fair all the way through for everybody involved. Turning now to the Baltimore Ravens. I always feel like Mike McCarthy when teams like this come up because get to trot out one of his favorite, favorite phrases, the uncommon opponent. I always like to talk about the uncommon opponent. Somebody you don't see all that often, and it's true. The Packers have not seen the Baltimore Ravens since 2017. It's kind of weird when you face somebody you don't face all that often. You see all too much of the Vikings and Bears and Lions. Ravens, not so much. It's like seeing relatives you barely know. I'm sure you're all in the same family, you guess. You're supposed to have a connection, but you just you just don't. Sometimes it's that's the way it goes. And that's the Packers and Ravens, really. In general, the theme of this episode is going to be injuries. Baltimore has a lot of them and it has already injured, uh, affected their season. I almost said injured their season. It's it's already affected their season in a pretty big way. COVID has been part of their, their season too. Lamar Jackson was down for a game because of uh, a positive test, but it really hasn't been that big of a factor league-wide in terms of guys missing games until relatively recently. Even the Packers who were affected in a fairly big way over the course of a couple games by it, didn't face anything like we're seeing on a league-wide scale now. But injuries have really played a big big factor for the Ravens so far this year. All in all, though, they're not really over or underachieving all that much. They're coming into this game at 8-5, and five, and by expected wins and losses, they are only slightly over-expected. 7-6 and six by that Pythagorean win theorem we talk about each and every week. They are skating by on a couple close wins. Uh, they took down the Bears 16-13. to They beat the Browns 16-10, to but things have also gone the other way, too. The last two weeks, they've lost by a combined three points, 0-2. The last two weeks by three points total, 19-20 to to the Steelers, and then 22-24 to uh, to the Browns. Them's the breaks. But, uh, you know, you win by the close game, you lose by the close game as well. They've had a couple other ones in there, too, throughout the course of the season. Uh, so, overall... It's breaking about even on those those close games. Still, this is a Ravens squad that has been hit pretty hard by the injury bug. And you'll see that kind of as we unravel 
their team here over uh, the next couple of segments. First one, Ravens offense against the Packers defense. Let's talk about the principles on Baltimore's offense, starting with their quarterback, Lamar Jackson. We use this analogy fairly frequently on this show. If he was a pitcher, he would be laboring a little bit. Uh, This is not the efficient, this is not the necessarily as explosive version of Lamar Jackson that we've seen in the past. Uh, Completing just 64% of his passes so far this year for 16 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. And look, Lamar Jackson has never been the most polished passer. He definitely has arm talent, like a crazy, to a crazy degree. One of the things that I remember seeing about him in the in the pre-draft process is just the ridiculous throw from the end zone angle. I, I can't picture the opponent, but Louisville's playing against some some ACC team or something, and he hops to his right, like does a like uh, a running back um, hop step to his right in the pocket, completely parallel to the line of scrimmage. So his shoulders are parallel to the line of scrimmage. Steps back into a throwing motion. And before he even has his feet set, just rockets a ball straight down the middle of the field. Hits a receiver perfectly in stride, touchdown pass, and you see why he won the Heisman Trophy. That is what he's capable of. He hasn't done that super regularly so far this year. He's also missed a game due to illness. He left last week's game early due to an ankle injury. You might be thinking to yourself, well, I mean, you should feel pretty good about facing him, especially with the with the kind of revamped Packers defense playing better. Maybe if you feel that way, I I guess I can't blame you. To me, he's still completely terrifying because he is probably the best utilized running quarterback in history. He may just be the flat out best running quarterback ever. I don't know how you make a distinction between uh, other quarterbacks that might have have a claim to being the best running quarterback. But I think the way that the, the Ravens take his skills and use them is better than any other quarterback who runs in history. I think he's, you understand the distinction there. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just a, a me thing. But I think you see the way that they use what he does, and he gets more out of his legs than any other quarterback that's been good at running that we've seen. The Ravens do a lot of pure option stuff with him, but they, they're doing it with a guy who is wide receiver fast. And if you remember any of our discussions from uh, – blood, sweat, and chalk this offseason, being fast is a bonus to the option, but it's not necessarily the goal. You can run option plays or option-like plays and succeed even if your quarterback isn't an otherworldly athlete. We saw the Packers do an option-style look and score a touchdown against the Rams with Aaron Rodgers, and nobody is going to confuse Aaron Rodgers for Lamar Jackson, ever. Uh, Even in his prime, he was not anywhere near the athlete that Lamar Jackson is. That the Ravens are able to take what they do in in their option attack and marry it to a guy who has game-breaking athleticism compared to other game-breaking athletes is incredibly dangerous, and he's incredibly fun to watch. And I'm thankful that he's hobbled a little bit heading into the game this weekend. I'm not counting on him. It's slowing him down all that much. So if we talk about the Ravens' strengths, you've got to mention their ground game. They are strong on the ground. They are strong with Lamar Jackson running the ball, but maybe not quite as strong as you've heard. Don't confuse them for some pushover team, though. They are still 7th in the league in rushing DVOA, but still only 7th. In terms of the raw numbers that Football Outsiders uses to to measure DVOA, they're barely above the break-even point in terms of efficiency. And in terms of that number, they're only three spots ahead of the Packers. Packers are slightly less efficient running the ball than the Ravens, but 
The Ravens still very good. The Packers good too, but not as powerful as they've been in past years. Still, seventh in the league in that efficiency number is pretty darn good just in, in any year. And other advanced metrics support the fact that they are that good as well. Even with a bunch of injuries, they are still the 11th best graded run blocking team in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. They are the fourth best team in the league by ESPN's run block win rate. And I'm not super concerned about their blocking either, because as we've said, the best dual threat quarterback around, even as a scrambler out of structure, if the Packers shut down their structured run game, even out of structure, he might be able to hurt the Packers. Justin Fields did some good things with that last week. Uh, just escaping the pocket, getting downfield, especially when the Packers were playing man-to-man, I would look for Lamar Jackson to be able to do a few things. Where are the Ravens vulnerable then? Do they have any weak spots on their offense? I would mention their passing game a little bit. Vulnerable, maybe not the right word, probably just a little inconsistent, and they really haven't been able to utilize all their weapons that well. The Packers are an unbalanced passing team in that so many of their targets go to Devontae Adams. But a lot of that has to do with injury. The Ravens don't really have that same excuse. They've had a lot of their skill position players on the field for basically the entire season, but still, they only have two players so far this year who have gotten 50 or more targets on the season. The Packers would probably have five, if not for injuries to Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb. That's the difference between the Packers and Ravens in the passing game. The two guys that have gotten 50-plus targets are Marquise Hollywood-Brown, great nickname, and big tight end Mark Andrews. If they're not on, if they're not getting the ball, I don't really know what to expect from the Ravens in the passing game. They've got a couple other guys you like. We'll talk about a, a couple of them here in a second. Uh, and another guy may not may just not be to that 50-target threshold because he's been hurt a little bit this year. Uh, but by and large, it's those two guys that make the offense go through the air. Who then should we know about in the passing game? I want to mention two guys just because it gives us a good chance to reflect on a couple of things in the the pre-draft process from the past couple of years. First, uh, two wide receivers. First, Rashad Bateman, uh, and second, Devin Duvernay. Uh, Bateman was the 27th overall pick in the draft this spring and was a popular Packers mock draft target. Good size, not necessarily explosively fast, but fast enough. Versatile, can play outside, can play inside. And he's been off to a pretty good start here in Baltimore as a rookie. He didn't make his debut this season until week six due to injury, but he has been solid since. Over eight games, he's had 32 catches on 47 targets for 404 yards. Those numbers would rank third and second, respectively, on the Packers. The other guy is Devin Duvernay, who probably is not going to have that big an impact on the game this weekend. But I wanted to mention him because he was one of my favorite guys in the 2020 draft. We talked about him a lot because he's a really good athlete, a lot of versatile skills, basically like a bigger Tyler Irvin, 5'11", 210 pounds, uh, a little bit more running back than wide receiver, uh, but in that you know jet sweep, just get the ball in his hands going laterally sort of mold like Tyler Irvin was. But he hasn't really found a role in Baltimore, and that's surprising given how they use guys like him or have used them in the past. Over 29 games in Baltimore, he's got just 48 catches, 441 yards, and two touchdowns. That's an average of 9.6 yards per reception. Not great. Uh, not really what we would have expected from him coming out uh, as a third-round pick in the in the 2020 draft, but still um, worth remembering stuff like that as we talk about our draft process. He does um, get the ball occasionally as a runner, but not all that much, just five carries on the year so far this year. Switching over to defense, 
Uh, how does the Packers offense square up against the Ravens defense? This week, I would say pretty well because the Packers pass game has been heating up over the course of the season, and you will see why that is a big deal here in just a second. The Ravens are strong in run defense. They are fourth against the run by DVOA uh, this year. Darn good number again. Uh, They are 11th by Pro Football Focus's run defense grade. However, everything on their defense comes with an asterisk because of what we're about to talk about next. Because if you talk about vulnerable, the Ravens are just beat to heck, especially on defense. Their injury report is so long that just reading the guys who didn't practice today would make you turn off the podcast. They had 10 DNPs in practice on Thursday, including Calais Campbell, their best run defender, a guy I've liked for a really long time, one of the biggest defensive linemen in the league. They also have seven other defensive players on injured reserve right now. That's a lot. Regardless of quality, that's a lot of guys to have on injured reserve. How many backups or guys that are like, say, a nickel corner or a dime corner can you lose before your play really suffers? And some of these guys aren't even backups. Cornerbacks Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters are, are on injured reserve right now. They're top two guys. So the Packers, I think, should be able to pass against the Ravens, provided they're able to pass protect. More on that here in a second. Who should we know about on the Ravens' defense? Like the previous segment, talking about offense, I want to talk about a guy who is connected to the Packers uh, in pre-draft talk, talk, and that is linebacker Patrick Queen. A lot of people were about... 30 seconds, thought he was going to be the pick when the Packers traded up in 2020. That would include yours truly. I thought it was going to be Patrick Queen when they traded up. Had they stood pat, I thought maybe, you know, Michael Pittman. We've talked about that before. But the Packers traded up, and I thought they were trying to get ahead of Baltimore to get Patrick Queen. Instead, they drafted Jordan Love, and Queen goes to the Ravens. Now, the box score numbers for Queen look great this year. 70 tackles, leading the team. Nine tackles for loss, two sacks, but the grades, the grades, not as much. And this is kind of a good litmus test. The pro football focus grade on Patrick Queen this year is 42.4. If you think that doesn't sound great, you'd be correct. That's the second worst grade on the team. Now, your mileage may vary on pro football focus grades, but this isn't like a gray area grade. This is loud bad. This is notably bad. Even if he was 50% better, grading out in the mid-60s or so, he'd still barely be one of their 15 best graded defensive players. It looks, just from the outside looking in, that Patrick Queen is a bit of a liability on defense. And you can see that a little bit in some of the counting stats too. Sure, the tackle numbers look pretty good. 70 tackles is good, not great. The tackles for loss, though, that looks pretty good. He's got three quarterback hits on the year. But you know what he doesn't have? A single play on the ball in the air. He has no interceptions and no passes defensed. In fact, if you're talking ball hawks, he'd have exactly three on the year. One fumble forced and two sacks. That is not a great stat line for a guy you drafted in the first round expecting him to be a defensive difference maker. If you look at what Patrick Queen has done this season for the the Ravens compared to what a guy like, say, Eric Stokes has done for the Packers, night and day. 
And I think Stokes is actually a pretty good comparison. He's a guy who's supposed to help in coverage, supposed to help in the passing game. That's one of Queen's big attributes too. That was one of his selling points. Drafted about the same spot, 27th for Queen, 30th for, for Stokes. It's it's night and day. Stokes is a guy, even if he, you're, you're not necessarily counting on him, he's not going to screw it up for you, or at least he hasn't screwed it up for the Packers so far. Just something to keep in mind when you when you get fixated on can't miss guys in the draft. There are two guys here that I liked a lot that have turned out to not be all that good, or at least not that good so far. Just in terms of some of the uh, the stats that we look at, production ratio and ball hawks, production ratio, sacks and tackles for loss per game. Tyus Bowser leads the way for the Ravens with a .88 production ratio. He is roughly approximate to their Rashawn, their version of Rashawn Gary. Not getting pressures quite as often as Gary does, but still uh, pretty good. Uh, 14.7% pressure rate on the year. Next up is Queen, .85, not bad. That's a lot of tackles for loss. Odafe Owe is third at .77, not bad either for their number two edge. Justin Houston is third uh, with a .75. He was a DNP for practice today, though only due to rest. Then Josh Burns rounds out the the top five there with a .7 production ratio, one sack and six tackles for loss in 10 games on the year. In terms of ball hawks, we've talked about Patrick Queen not making all that many plays on the ball. You're going to see that's a recurring theme in the Ravens secondary. Marlon Humphrey leads their squad with 15, but... Unfortunately for the Ravens, he is on injured reserve last time. Tyus Bauer, Bowser is up next with 10.5 ball hawks. Most of those are sacks. Odafe always next with five sacks and uh, stuff in the rest of the stat sheet. One pass defense and three forced fumbles. Chuck Clark is next up with eight. And I note him because he is the only active defensive back on this list who is this high. Uh-oh. Guess who went on the COVID list today? Chuck Clark. So he's not going to be playing this weekend either. Rounding out the the top five here, uh, after Odafe Owe and Clark, you've got Justin Houston up there with sacks again. Then nobody else on the Ravens defense has more than five ball hawks, not really making all that many plays on the ball as a defense. Rewinding to last time the Packers and Ravens played, I think the less said about the last time we saw the Ravens, the better. Let's rewind to 2017. If you want to take a brief, unpleasant trip down memory lane, it had been about a month since the Packers lost Aaron Rodgers the last time we saw the Ravens, they were 1-2 and two in the interim and had just beaten the Bears, probably Brett Hundley's best game, either that or the Steelers game the week after they played the Ravens. But here come the Ravens to Lambeau Field in between those two games. Folks, if you did not have an idea that Brett Hundley was probably not the answer for the Packers after this game, I don't know what to tell you. Because he went 21 of 36 passing for 239 yards, no touchdowns, and three interceptions. He threw interceptions inside the Ravens' 10-yard line and the Packers' 10-yard line. Terrific. He also had three carries at 419 yards for his trouble as the Ravens shut out the Packers 23 to nothing. Wasn't all bad, though. Even with Brett Hundley throwing the ball, Devontae Adams had eight catches for 126 yards. The man is a space alien. So why do I think the Packers are going to win this week? And I do think they are going to win. I think this is a when game more than who. That goes back to that saying, it's not who you play, but when you play them. The Packers are getting the Ravens at a really good time. They're really beat up. They're really beat up at some advantageous positions for the Packers. So I'm picking the Packers to win 
But as of right now, I think the spread is too big. So I think the Ravens are going to cover, but the Packers are going to win. But I don't feel entirely confident about that. I don't feel like, yes, the Packers are definitely going to come out with a win. I would say my confidence is like 80% right now. Still pretty confident, but not overwhelmingly so. Because the weird thing about big injury games is the variability. On the one hand, you could just look at all the guys that are hurt for the Ravens and say, well, they're going to be playing a bunch of backups. They don't have all their usual guys. And even even some of their usual guys like Lamar Jackson who are going to play are going to be a little bit banged up. But with that goes some uncertainty. You don't really know what Ravens team you're going to get. And I think that can make them dangerous too. I don't think the Packers are going to just walk all over the Ravens, though I do think as of right now, they match up really, really well with the Ravens because of their injury situation, because of their COVID situation. I think the Packers are in are in real good shape. Most of you are pretty confident too. According to our weekly poll, 95.2% of people think the Packers are going to win. That is the same mark as last week, which is tied for the third highest score of the season. Everybody else in terms of popularity and approval ratings is up this week across the board with two exceptions. Maurice Drayton is still holding steady at 0%, which I don't think is a surprise to anybody. I don't think there's there's been much to go on that's going to give us any reason to change our mind about him in the in the relatively near future. But Brian Gutekunst down 6% in his approval rating from last week. Still at about 88% in terms of overall approval. But I think it's interesting that he dropped. I can't really really think of a reason over the past week that he would have dropped. Maybe a bunch of people just wanted him to call Tyler Irvin, and he hasn't so far. Um, but really, hey, overall, people are feeling good about the Packers. And that's what I want to close on for this episode. The Packers are good. It's worth remembering that sometimes. Because I think there's a, there's a problem... There's a tendency to focus either too much on the big picture or too much on the the really little stuff. The big picture is looking beyond this year, saying, is Aaron Rodgers going to be around? Is Devontae Adams going to be around? If any of these guys are around, how do the Packers afford everybody else? The small stuff is getting really, really hung up on, you know, individual players and positions they're playing on the offensive line or who's returning punts or stuff like that. Even with those concerns, both big and small, the Packers are really, really good. They are among the best teams in the league. They for sure have a legitimate claim right now as the best team in the NFC. And there's a good chance that the Packers are going to be playing in the most important game of the season when it's all said and done. Because I think the NFC championship game is basically the Super Bowl this year. That's how it was last year. I think that was the those were the two best teams in the NFL. I think that's going to be the case this year. If the Packers play to their standards, they have as legitimate of a claim as anybody to being the best team in the NFL. And it's worth remembering that. Despite everything that's gone on this year, despite uncertainty in the offseason, despite all the stuff going on with COVID, despite injuries to everybody of consequence, it seems like at some point this year, the Packers have just kept plugging along because they're a deep team, they're a good team, they're a well-coached team, and just about anybody in the league would be afraid to play them with their season on the line. We should remember that too. The Packers have a real good team, and they're a lot of fun to watch. 
That's all I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. I'd appreciate it as well if you would take a second and uh, check out our charity fundraiser at thepowersweep.com or in your show notes. Donate to our very worthy causes and you will be entered into our drawing to win uh, valuable prizes. We'd also appreciate it if you would take a second and share this podcast with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to get more people involved in this conversation you and I and everybody else are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.